0: Welcome to Parkview. (laughs) Glad to have you. Thanks for watching on the internet. You have no idea what just happened. Um, Big news report came out this week. I I don't know if you saw it. I mean, it made a lot of of news. Uh, People who call themselves Christians are down 8%. Uh, People who believe in nothing, they're called the nuns. Not like you guys know nuns, but like the N-O-N-E-S's. Up 6%. In other words, you know, if you, if you read that one way, it, it's like a 14% change just in the last few years of people and their beliefs. Now, you need to understand some things about that research, all right? There are a lot of people who call themselves Christians who really don't believe anything. I don't know if you know that or not, but, but it's always been true, and it's true, period. What, the, what this stat is really telling us is that a lot of your friends and neighbors, maybe your family, who grew up in a, in a religious system ha, have now decided to quit saying that they are whatever that religious system is, okay? They're just going to admit, you know what? I don't know if I believe that. Uh, it's true in our predominantly Catholic area that we live in now, uh, in this area. I mean, a lot of people grow up, and, and maybe that was you. You grew up, and you're like, okay, well, I'm not sure I believe this anymore, except you still called yourself a Catholic. Uh, it's true in every denomination. I was in Nashville this week. You know, it's like Jerusalem for the Baptists, and, and I mean, it's the same thing that's true down there. There's 700 churches there, uh, but they're not full of people, because a, a lot of the younger generation is going, yeah, I grew up Baptist, I grew up whatever, but I'm just not sure I believe that stuff anymore. This doesn't really reflect a 14% shift in behavior or doctrine. Um, It's really mostly about the label and being honest, However, I would say that my job as a pastor is getting harder and harder. My job to help you find Jesus is getting harder and harder, and a big reason for that is it's bad Christianity. Can I just say that? It's a Clueless Christianity. I've been been around it a bunch this week. Let, let, Let me summarize it this way. A woman wrote, the other day I went to a local Christian bookstore and saw a hunk if you love Jesus bumper sticker. So I put it on my car. Then I was stopped at a red light at a busy intersection, just lost in the thought about the Lord and how good he is. And I didn't even notice that the light had changed. It's a good thing that somebody else loves Jesus, because if he hadn't honked, I would have never noticed. I found that lots of people love Jesus. While I was sitting there, the guy behind me started honking like crazy. He leaned leaned out his window and screamed, for the love of God, go, go, go! What an exuberant cheerleader for Jesus he was. Everybody started honking. I just leaned out my window and started waving and smiling at all these loving people. I even honked my horn a few times back just to share in the love. There must have been somebody from Florida back there because I heard him yelling something about a sunny beach. (laughs) I saw saw another guy waving in a funny way with only his middle finger stuck up in the air. When I asked my teenage grandson in the back seat what that meant, he said, must have been the Hawaiian good luck sign or something. Well, I've never met anyone from Hawaii, so I just leaned out and gave him the good luck sign right back again. (laughs) My grandson burst out laughing. Even he was enjoying this religious experience. A couple of people were so caught up in the joy of the moment that they got out of their cars and started walking towards me. I bet they wanted to pray or ask what church I attended, but that's when I noticed that the light had changed. So, I waved to all my sisters and brothers, grinning, and drove on through the intersection. I noticed I was the only car that got through the intersection (laughs) before the light changed, and I felt kind of sad that I had to leave them after all the love that we had shared. So I slowed the car down, leaned out the window, and one more time gave them the Hawaiian good luck sign as I drove away. That, yeah. I don't know why you want to clap for that, but but you do, don't you? You're just like, that's so funny because those people, I mean, that that's just, that's what I'm saying. I met a lady like that this week. I'll tell you about it in a minute. Here's why clueless Christianity is such a problem. It's why it's getting in the way so much. Because Jesus said, in the same way, God, Father, that you gave me a mission in the world, I'm giving a mission to the world. And we're here to be on a mission. I wrote this book. We'll have it available for you. I realize a lot of you are new. You don't have it. I wrote a book called Life on Mission. And the premise is that the only reason we're here is because we're supposed to be telling other people about the good news of Jesus. But we can't do that if this clueless Christianity, bad Christianity, is getting in our way. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So when you're you're clueless about the world, when, when you're doing things in the name of Jesus that are messing things up, it makes it harder for us. So honestly, this stat doesn't bother me. I'd rather less people called themselves a Christian and more people just acted like a Christian. That's what I would like, okay? And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that this older woman should have known what flipping people off is. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, for the love of God, go, 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 okay? Stop doing things that are getting in the way of the love of Jesus. That, that, that's, that's, that's the only thing that's important to me. The artist named Noah Gunderson, I don't, I don't know him. I don't know about his religious background whatsoever, but he's really one of my favorite songwriters. And um, he, he wrote a song called Jesus, Jesus several years ago. We're going to do it. Johnny's going Johnny's gonna to do it for us, cover it for us. And I tried to get the lyrics in my book because this song so represented to me um, exactly what the world is looking for they're trying to find Jesus. They just can't get around all the people that are messing things up to get to Jesus. It's a desperate cry of a generation of people that are, that are looking for Jesus, but they're confused, okay? Um, listen to Johnny. There aren't very many churches you're gonna go in who are gonna play that song and be that honest. And Honestly, I'm gonna send that song to Noah. I'm, I'm gonna send the service to Noah. Noah, I hope, I hope you listen to this. I'm sorry for the followers um, that seem like they hate you. I, I really, really am. And I'd love for Jesus and you to have coffee. That's really my goal in life. It's for Jesus and everybody to have coffee. That's all, that's all I wanna do. Because I know that, that when, when they get together, it can change everything. So as we head into summer, here's, here's what we're doing. I want you to, I want to help you as you go on your mission. Summer's a great time for us to, you know, to go. I and mean, that's what we're doing. We're, we're out, we're with people. And, and in the Life on Mission project that I wrote, the book that I wrote, the, 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 the idea is to take, is, take our people and, and go out. You're supposed to be witnesses. Jesus said, be my witnesses. Don't, don't, be, my, don't, don't be preaching. You don't need a bumper sticker. You, you don't need to beat people over the head. Just go be my witnesses. Hey, here's what happened in my life. That's all, that's all. Okay. But he said, be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Well, I don't, know. I don't think that's an order. I think we're supposed to, like, in order. I think we're supposed to go everywhere. But Jerusalem was where they lived. So, so the first part of life on mission is connect with where you live. And, and the problem with Jesus was that when people looked at Jesus, he wasn't, he wasn't in the places he was supposed to be. He was in the places where he lived. He was just in the places where religious people didn't think he ought to be because that's who he was. That's why we called this Jesus misplaced. Seems like he's misplaced, right? And you understand that. When you see somebody that you know in a a context and you see them in a different context, it's weird, isn't it? Like if you're at a, you know, baseball game and, you know, all of a sudden your doctor's sitting there in front of you. So like, oh, you know, that's kind of weird. You know, they see me. Naked. I mean, this is awkward for me, right? You know, I mean, I don't, I don't have a, I haven't had a need for a proctologist yet, okay, uh, or a, or a urologist. But you know, I mean, it's going to be awkward if I, you know, go to one of those persons and they're in the church. I mean, I got a good urologist in the church, Sharok. I would go to Sharok if I had a problem, but then I'd have to look at him every week. You know, he's, you know, that that's just I don't, I don't want to deal with that. You see what I'm saying? And people do the same thing to me. It's really, it's really funny. It's like they'll see me out in public and they go, oh. You eat food? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, don't let that freak you out. Yeah. My gas tank in my car doesn't just automatically fill up all by itself. I have to stop and put it in, okay? And, and so people are looking at Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, you're misplaced, and it's, it's worse than just you're at Costco. I mean, you're in the places it doesn't seem like you're supposed to be. 35 of the 36 times that Jesus has a, a discourse with somebody, a, a conversation with somebody in the Bible, it's not in the religious temple. It's not in the religious place. He's not where he's supposed to be. He's misplaced. So I, I want to unpack that. We're going to unpack that. Naeem is going to, a uh, uh, former Muslim guy is preaching next weekend, is going to help us unpack that. And we're going to talk about this. Okay? Where are you already? Where you already are is Jerusalem. All right. That's why we have a, a a set of a coffee break room right there. Okay? That's what that's what that whole thing is about right there. This is your this is your coffee break room for you. Maybe it's it's your kids' soccer team. You know, it, it's your neighborhood, literally or whatever. I'm going to be in John four, and it's it's one of the longest discourses that Jesus has in the Bible with the least likely person that you would possibly imagine that it would be, and it's kind of like Jesus is in the break room at the office, okay? Jesus left Judea and returned to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well at noontime." First thing I want you to understand about Jesus being misplaced, and about you being misplaced, it's not going to make a lot of sense until I unpack it, but it's that Jesus was there. He was there. It says he had to go through Samaria. What's interesting about that is that Jews didn't go to Samaria. All right. In the same way that Christians may not go to wherever, you fill in the blank, that the good Christians don't go to this place, good Jews did not go to this place, and it was Samaria. Because the Samaritans were people who worshipped God, and they were kind of Jews, but they weren't. And they worshipped God in a different way, and they were, they were Jews that had intermarried with other people, and, and so they were, like, they were like, oh no, no, we don't go through Samaria. Let me show you the map, okay? Here's what would happen. A good Jew in that day would leave Jerusalem, and they would go through Ephraim, and if they were going up into Galilee, they would literally cross the river, the Jordan River, go over here, cross the river back again to get back to Nazareth. That was normally what they would do, because they did not want to be in Samaria. Samaria was a no-no. Yet Jesus did away with all the common prejudices of his time and resolutely went straight through Samaria. So when it says Jesus had to go through Samaria, it's because Jesus loved everybody. And Samaria was the obvious place that Jesus needed to go. There for you is an obvious place that you need to go. Maybe it's the water cooler. Again, whatever it is. But the problem is, a lot of Christian people are doing this same thing. Instead of going right through Samaria, instead of going to the obvious places right around them where people need the living water, they're going around it. We have our own you know, schools and our own radio stations and we have all of our own little stuff so that we can, you know, our own sports teams or whatever so that we can avoid going through Samaria when that's the exact opposite of what Jesus did and the exact opposite of what we're supposed to do. And maybe, like the Samaritans of Jesus' day, maybe um, that makes you uncomfortable. Those, those kids that you live with next door to, those uh, parents of the kids in the soccer team, maybe they make you uncomfortable. Maybe they have a different ethnicity like the Samaritans. Maybe they have different religious beliefs like the Samaritans. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Maybe they have a different sexual preference. Maybe they have a different social stature. Maybe they have a m- different major league baseball, you know, preference affiliation. I understand. I understand. You may not be comfortable being there, but, but, but while they are right in front of you, you need to go be there. That's where they are. The reason Christianity is often so ineffective is because Christians are doing the same thing. They're going around Samaria and Jesus can't do that. He doesn't do that. Why? Because his mission was to go for Samaria. That's why he's here. Listen, I'm not saying that you should be going out of your way to be around people who need Jesus. I'm saying you should stop avoiding the ones who are already there, right in front of you. You want an example? Here's a painful one. For all of you who are heterosexual Christians, are you friends with anybody in the LGBT community? Anybody that's gay, lesbian, lesbian? I bet you know some, but there's some in your break room. Well, what would Jesus do? And just as importantly, when you're there, be there, you know? Don't take your stupid phone into the break room and play Candy Crush the whole time. Do that on office time. You go be around everybody else, all right? You go be around everybody else. Watch this story unfold. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food and the woman was surprised. For the Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. John says it right there. This is not cool. This is uncultural for us. So she said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? This is this is this is you know not the way that it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to happen that way. And here's the second thing about Jesus as he went, as he was misplaced. Jesus was not judgmental. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote, God our Savior wants, say that word with me. Everyone to be saved, okay, and understand the truth. So when Jesus said God, you know, sent his son into the world so that Whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He meant whoever. Paul meant everyone. So you can't avoid him because that's exactly who we're supposed to be about. And the, and the deal, you, you want to go cultural. A Jew did not talk to a Samaritan. A rabbi did not talk to a woman in public anyway. That was scandalous, okay? And, and add to that that it's this woman. The the reason she's at the well at noon is because she didn't want to go be around everybody else because she was used to being judged. This is, being at the well at noon is like going to the grocery store at 2 a.m. to get groceries. The only people that do that are the people that have a weird work schedule or the people that want to avoid people. The custom of the day was for the women to come and gather around the well at, 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 at sundown. It was the coolest part of the day. Husbands would be done with, you know, their, their, their working. They could take care of things back at home, and the women would go to get their water. You know, they didn't have, they, did, they had to go to the well to get their water. It was the source of everything. And they would go to get their water at the well, and, and it takes a while to do that. And it was kind of like their cheers. It was kind of like a bar for the women. They would they would gather around. They would get their water. They would gossip. You know, there was no TMZ back then, so they had to, you know, like do it by, you know, mouth and, and just talk about things. And, and, and that was like the... The, the social thing for the women of the community. This woman is there at noon. What is that? That's the hottest part of the day. Why would she be there? Because she, she's, she's, she's either not allowed or she doesn't want to be around the other women of the community. Not only that, it says she's from Sychar and she went to Jacob's Well. She would have passed several wells along the way before she got to Jacob's Well. This is like a, 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 a person from, from Orland Park going to a grocery store at 2 a.m. in Oak Lawn, okay? She's going out of her way to avoid people that know her. So what was Jesus's approach? What was his approach? It says, he said to her, please give me a drink. Now you, you gotta, let me unpack some cultural things as we talk about this along the way, because it's important. This is not Jesus going, uh, excuse me, waitress, could you, know, could, could you bring some water? Jesus doesn't have a way to draw water. You don't, you don't travel around with that, okay? So, so it, it was custom, it was a very common custom, hospitality custom. I mean, we, we know this from even back in the Moses story when he meets his wife. The, 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 the custom is for the person who is there drawing water, who has the ability to do it, to offer it to somebody else. So basically, if I could, if I could put this into today's terms, Jesus goes into the break room, he sits down, pulls out a sandwich, turns to this woman that is sitting at the table that's farthest away from everybody else that nobody else wants to talk to because everybody knows about her situation. And he sits down next to her and he says, hey, how's it going? Would you pass me the salt? Which brings me to the next thing. Jesus always led with relationship. He just broke the ice. And and, and we know this because her reaction is, I can't believe... You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Why are you talking to me? I can't even believe you're talking to me. And here's what's fascinating about this. This is why I I love being a pastor in the 21st century. And I love being a pastor in in Chicagoland, like away from the, 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 the thrust of normal Christianity because it is so easy to be on mission. People are starving for relationships. USA Today ran an ad, that, uh, ran an article this several weeks ago that said Americans have a third fewer deep relationships now than they did 20 years ago. A third fewer. A sociology professor from Duke said, you don't see that kind of change in two decades. Something's, something crazy is going on and this is not good. Because close relationships." she said, we're talking about the people that could pick your kids up at school, the people that could help you out of your house in a hurricane or in a fire. We're talking about people we depend on. And we have a third fewer of them in our life now than we've ever had before. So people are hungry for relationships. So go into the break room, sit down, and say, hey, how's it going? Could you pass me the salt? What I'm saying is Jesus went to the obvious place, the water cooler place, and he initiated a conversation with someone who didn't have a lot of friends. Can you do that? That's your mission. (laughs) How, How do you do that? Probably most importantly by just not running away we have got, got a friend, um, Hugh Halter, some of you uh, small group leaders heard Hugh a couple of months ago, Richie brought him in. I'm, I'm bringing him in to preach in September. Um, he's a pastor in Colorado, really, really out there on the edge in um, doing some, I mean, he makes me look conservative. He's a, he's a fun guy and he's got this church, you know, that, 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 that really, really reaches to the people that nobody else, you know, wants to deal with, you know? So he, he's a, he lives in his house, and, and the next-door neighbor, woman and husband, um, aren't believers at all. They aren't Christians. And in the course of time, the woman becomes a Christian and starts going to Hugh's church. And the husband is unhappy about it. He is not happy about it at all. He's mad, you know. I mean, you know, I mean, who wants their wife to be a Christian, for crying out loud? You know, he's like, oh, man, this is, this is messing up my life. So one day, Hugh says... I'm out, the, I'm out mowing my yard, you know, just going back and forth, listening to some music, mowing my yard. Now, the corner of my eye, I look up at the back deck of my neighbor's house, and I see my neighbor up, up there, and he's standing there on the deck looking at me, flipping me off with both hands. <laughs> just, just standing there. You know, you're number one. You're 11. <laughs> All right? He, he's just standing there. And he said, I was kind of like, ooh, you know. And he's just kind of mowing back and forth. I'm going to make him tell the story when he's here in the fall. He's just mowing back and forth. He's like, God, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? he said, I don't know if it's the inspiration of the Holy Spirit or not, but he said, I just turned back to him and went, and flipped him off right back again. He said, the guy just started laughing and said, come on over, and um, he went over and had a beer with him on the back deck, and the guy is now a deacon in his church. I'm not making that story <laughs> up, okay? Now listen, listen, I don't know where the flipping off conversation, I, I, I don't know what's happened in my week that made me have two illustrations about that, and I am, I am not recommending a flipping off ministry to be started at Parkview. What I'm saying is that what Hugh didn't do is run away. What he didn't do is run away and hide. What Jesus didn't do is run away and hide. Jesus didn't avoid. He was right there. Okay? He wasn't judgmental. He led with relationship. Now, understand how important wells are. Okay? I mentioned this already, but, but a well was where everything happened. And the symbolism for people about water and about living water and about a well was so huge. So Jesus is already right there, which leads me into the, the next thing, is that, is that Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about important things. He's right there, and he's, he, says, he says, listen if you only knew the gift that God has for you, I mean, he says, can I have a drink? And she says, you're not supposed to talk to me. And Jesus says, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask and I would give you living water. See how beautiful that is? Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes fresh, bubbling, spring within them, giving them eternal life. I have living, I I know I'm not supposed to talk to you, but not only do I want to have a relationship with you and I'm not judging you, but I have something for you. I have good news. That's what we call it. At some point, you're going to have the opportunity to talk about important things once you have a relationship and they see that you're not judgmental and you show up in Samaria in the first place. All right. Now, here's my hesitation. Please don't jump the gun. I, I was in I was in Nashville this week. I I do. I do devotions for Dave Ramsey's company every once in a while. My son-in-law works for Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey's a big financial guru guy, get out of debt guy, and um, good good friend, good company. There's 400 people that work there. So they have devotions. They, I mean, this ought to tell you something really cool if you if you like Dave Ramsey and have done FPU. Um, I mean, they have devotions every week. They have somebody come in and, and have a little church service, and they're awesome. It's like 400, you know, really great Christian people. It's fun to do. So I did devotions, and after devotions was over, somebody that was a friend of mine said, I've got a guy I went to college with who's a pastor of a large church in Nashville that you need to meet. And so we had arranged that we would have coffee in Dave Ramsey's uh, coffee place right there. They, they have a coffee shop where people come in and do the death free scream, if you understand anything about, about Dave and what's, what goes on. okay. So so I have coffee with Pastor Jamie, and I mean, it is awesome. I mean, we just have a lot of things in common and and, and people that we know in common, and, and we're talking about maybe him coming and helping us in Malawi, their church, and we're just doing all kinds of cool, really stuff. And so, so, but we're in this coffee shop, you know, everybody's kind of around. So afterwards, I'm picking up my stuff and, and this woman near me makes this kind of awkward attempt at a conversation with me. I think what happened is Pastor Jamie said, man, this was a God connection we just made. This was really, really cool. And, and I said, yeah, and we said goodbye and I'm packing up my stuff. And she said something to the effect of, you want to you hear about a God connection? And, and, you know, I mean, I don't know who she is, but I, I, I'm not going to be rude. I'm a pretty nice guy. Yeah, 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 I do. I'm not making this up. She pulls out her phone, shows me a picture that she's taken of a tree in her backyard that has a knot hole in it that has what looks like, could be, the image of Jesus on a cross in the knot hole of her tree. Gets better. I'm like, oh, sure does, yeah. That's a God connection, you bet. And then she says, in kind of a really condescending way, she says, you know, I couldn't help but overhear your conversation with that other pastor. You didn't mention the name of Jesus one time. I said, well, we weren't talking about Jesus. Jesus. I mean, it's not like we were avoiding it. It wasn't like he was going, yeah, we worship you-know-who at our church. Who do you? <laughs> yeah, me too. Don't tell anybody. I mean, we're talking about Africa. We're talking about their church praying for a new building, praying to Jesus, I'm assuming, okay? You know, I, I kind of get that. And, and then in an even more condescending way, she said, well, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. And I'm losing my southern charm about this time. I said, lady, I don't need to be drawn to Jesus. He doesn't need to be drawn to Jesus. We're in already, okay? And by the way, your tree looks more like Jerry Garcia than Jesus. I didn't say that really. I I wanted to so bad. I, I didn't. But for the love of God, go. Go. You know what I'm saying? there will come a time when there will be some obvious places. Just don't be the person that's trying to always cram something in. Oh, how about that bull's loss? Yeah, too bad Jesus didn't play for the bulls. Just just don't be weird, please, okay? That's all I'm saying. At some point, you're going to have the opportunity to talk about the important things, and Jesus was never afraid of that. So, what Jesus does next needs to be set up because if, if, you don't, if you don't hear this the right way, you're gonna think that Jesus kind of jumps into the moral issue ahead of what he ought to, and he doesn't. He says, go and get your husband. She says, I've got, he says, I've got eternal life. I've got a well springing up. I'd love to give you eternal life. She's like, okay, interesting. He says, go and get your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're right. I mean, read this, know it's translated. Yes, correct. You don't have a husband, and you've had five husbands, and you're not even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. And she said, uh, yeah, okay, you must be a prophet. Now, if you, if, you, if you want to read it this way, you can. You could say, Jesus, early on in this conversation, confronted this woman and called her out for her sin. I want to interpret this a very different way because if he was doing that, he would have said, well, you can't have living water, you tramp. You know, don't you know you've got to get your stuff together? Don't you understand God's model for sexuality? Haven't you read the scriptures? How do you think you could deserve living water? But he doesn't do that. He leads into the discussion about why she's here in the first place. Everybody knows you're not at the well at noon unless you're outcast from society. So what Jesus is doing is he's walking in. He's going, okay, pass me the salt. Let's have a conversation. Hey, guess what? I'm not judging you. I, I, I love you. I want to have a relationship with you. And I know what's gone on in your life. And it's not affecting me at all. Jesus accepted her right where she was. This would be like walking into the break room, sitting down with somebody who was recently divorced because they cheated on their spouse and they've lost their family and their, their life is blown up and people know it. Walking in and sitting down with them and going, hey, how's it going? and having them go, ah, oh, it's not going so good, and you, and you say, yeah, I know, I, I heard about it. I want you to know that doesn't affect my relationship with you. I'm sorry that's happened in your life. I'm sorry that you did that. I'm sorry, whatever, but that doesn't affect your relationship with me one bit. See, here's the reason why I say this. There are two ways that you can look at this woman's situation. I've used this passage to talk about how to have conversations about God with people who are living outside the will of God. And she is living outside the will of God, okay? Because she's, she's not married to this guy that she's living with. That's outside the will of God. But we don't know why. And Jesus isn't afraid to talk to her about it. He doesn't affirm her choices, but he doesn't judge her for them either. And here's the point. We don't know why she was living the way that she was living. She's an outcast from society, why? We don't know, and I've said this before. Last two years I've been really processing this, maybe three, a few years ago, my daughter went to Wheaton College in in the western suburbs, a great Christian institution, and she had a Bible class with a professor from Africa, and they were talking about this passage And he said something that's just blown my, when she told me, it's blown my mind ever since. He said, I don't understand why American preachers always preach about this woman being immoral. The text doesn't say that she's immoral. Maybe she was just trying to survive. And he went on to explain in Africa, which would be a lot like the first century in Samaria, a woman didn't have any rights. And if a woman couldn't bear children for someone, for their husband, then all the husband had to do was write a letter and say, okay, you're gone, get out of here, I'm gonna go find another woman because I need to have kids. And it's possible that this woman was barren and she'd been dumped by one husband to another, to another, to another, and had five husbands. And at this point, she can't get a job because she's a woman in the first century. She can't get an apartment and she's living with some guy. We don't know. My point is, to Jesus, it's kind of irrelevant because Jesus still has water for her. My point is, whatever situation the person's in is really irrelevant because we're all in situations, nobody's perfect. This is why we start with acceptance. This is why we lead with love. Because we don't know the backstory. She got love from Jesus, not judgment. That doesn't mean I have to agree with how they're living out their life. I might even, in the midst of relationship, be a part of the Holy Spirit's restoration of their life into the will of God and the way things ought to be done. Then again, they may be a part of the Holy Spirit's restoration in my life with some stuff that I got going on in my life. Or we may end up having to live with the tension of disagreeing doctrinally about what the will of God is. But I don't have to solve all that. Because Paul said, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at the right time and died for us sinners. That means me, that means you, means the person in Samaria. That was for my Facebook fans. Come on. It was at this moment in my sermon preparation outside under a tree that a bird pooped on my screen. Okay. Are you with me now? All right. Somebody said, somebody said you ought to make the bird poop sound so that everybody that follows you on Facebook knows what's going on. Okay. It will look, look at this though. Somebody else said at just the right time, Christ died for sinners and the bird made an exclamation point. (laughs) This is better than a tree that looks like Jesus on the cross. (laughs) This is from God right there, okay? Christ died, we're all sinners, okay? Even the bird understands. Yeah, put an exclamation point right there. We're all in the same boat. Jesus goes on after admitting all of this stuff and, and knowing all this stuff and saying, I know about your junk. Then they have this little discussion about theology and doctrine. and and agree to disagree on the doctrine. And then he says, the time is coming, indeed it will be here, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ, and when he comes he will explain everything to us. And Jesus told her, that's me, I'm the Messiah. Do you you even possibly grab the significance of this? Do you know how many people Jesus told he was the Messiah? I mean, Jesus didn't go around. He didn't have like a I am the Messiah website. He didn't have it on his t-shirt. He didn't really tell anybody except his disciples, his close followers, because he didn't want it to be at that place. He wanted to have time to do ministry because he knew he was going to be killed for admitting that he was the Messiah. Who does he tell? His close disciples and the woman that nobody else wants at the water cooler. That's why I'm saying Jesus was not a judgmental. He, he was accepting her right where she was. And saying, hey, guess what? I'm it. Was Jesus misplaced? No. But even the disciples were confused. Just then the disciples come back. They were shocked to find him talking to the woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? See, John's there. He's writing this, okay? And and none of them had the guts to say it, but the the, the disciples come back and, and they're like, Jesus, why are you talking to this woman? I mean, A, she's a Samaritan. B, she's a woman. And C, she's here at noon. So you know what that's all about. I've always wondered, why did all the disciples have to go get lunch? <coughs> We're like women going to the bathroom. I mean, <laughs> what, what in the world's that all about? It's like, you know, oh, hey, guys, I'm going for lunch. Anybody want to go? Yes, I do, I do. <laughs> it take 12 guys to carry back Taco Bell? I mean, this doesn't make any sense unless you realize where they are. Where are they? They're at the water cooler in Samaria, right? I mean, think about this. They're they're probably very uncomfortable being there. And they're like going through Samaria thinking, oh, what's everybody going to say about us? We're in Samaria. And then Jesus goes, hey, I'm going to sit down here at the well. And and there's a woman here. And they're like, oh, okay, we're going to get lunch. I mean, process all this. The The proper response for the disciples coming back, the proper response for all of Jesus' disciples is, oh, hello, what's your name? Would you like to have some lunch? But the the common response from the disciples of Jesus is, ooh, why are you talking to her? My theory is backed up by the fact that as soon as the disciples get there, she leaves. I mean, the text is gonna tell us that she's gonna to leave to go be on mission, but it, I, I don't think, I don't think it's ironic I think, it, I think it's very, very true because listen to this. The woman left her water jar. I mean, she leaves her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Right? You, you know what it's like, right? When, when somebody's in the room and they don't like you, you know that feeling. You, you know, you can tell, okay? And if they're like, you're like, Shh. nobody comes up and says hi to you and they're all like, Shh. she gets it. Jesus accepts her. Jesus loves her. Jesus wants to give her living water. The disciples, not so much. So she leaves, goes back and tells everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people, this is one of my favorite verses. so the people came streaming from the village to see him see when we get all the stupid stuff out of Jesus' way so that Noah Gunderson can actually have coffee with Jesus they will come streaming they'll have to have 11 Christmas Eve services that's what's going to happen because Jesus is awesome we just need to get all the other junk out of the way. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. This is how mission happens. When the people really meet Jesus and his followers quit screwing things up, they will come streaming from the village to meet him. Hey, you guys, I found a God who loves us. Okay, here we come. I mean, who doesn't want that? So Jesus stayed for two days long enough for many more to hear the message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he's the savior of the world. She was a missionary. I I need need to help you with this. She has not, there's no record that she went back and married the guy she was living with. Okay? We have no record of her going back, and putting a security deposit down in an apartment, moving her junk out, you know, getting, getting everything together. She just became an instant missionary, and people found eternal life through the missionary efforts of a woman who had junk, a woman who had a story. That's why I can tell all of you, even if you're brand new, go be on mission. We, uh, we do ministry in Africa, and uh, one of the things is r- just a, a simple win is to dig wells. I mean, that's, I, I love the well analogy. I was thinking about that this week, and, and the story of our kids in VBS, Vacation Bible School this last summer, raised enough money to build three wells in the remote area of Turkana, Africa, of Kenya, where, uh, w- where we have a school and, and where we've done a lot of work. And um, Sean, our, our missions pastor, was there at the dedication of one of the wells he said there was an older guy there who was just crying and crying and crying. And he thought, "Oh, this is so awesome. He's he's really happy about you know about this well." But he got the story. Somebody that was somebody was there. Got knew the rest of the story, and and, and they said, "Well, you got to understand the reason he's crying is because he's from this village and he's lived here all of his life, and his family has lived there all of their lives, and for generations." For generations, they've been walking hours to go get water so that they could survive. And we dug this well, and we found water five feet down. And he's, he's weeping because he's thinking about all of the hardship, all of the pain that his family's been through. When water was right here. Why would we want to make them walk just because we're afraid to be misplaced like Jesus?